Welcome to the Hope Unlimited Church podcast. We are so honored to connect with you and we pray that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Grab your Bible, go with me to the Gospel of Luke. I'm going to read a couple of passage, passages for you out of the Gospel of Luke. But typically, whenever I preach, I read the text and then I get into the sermon. I am going to get part of the way into the sermon first, and then we will get to the text. I'm warning you about that because usually when a preacher preaches for 30 minutes and then they read the scriptures, you think, oh God, are we just now getting started? Okay. So, no, there's a, the, a, bulk, a good bulk of the sermon is going to be at the front. Then we'll get to the text, and I'm going to wrap up. So Luke chapter 1, and then we're going to go to Luke 4, and then we're going to go to Luke 6, and then we're going to go to Luke 16. Okay? And just be ready. Just have that iPhone ready, because we don't use Bibles anymore. Have that iPhone ready. I, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but there's an election in 23 days. I know, you had no idea. You had no idea. An election? What? Who's running? And because uh, it dominates the news feeds and it dominates our social media. And so I'm going to, I want you to hear me. Now, I, I think, I think that our church has developed a, a, a stomach for talking about hard things. We're going to find out either way. But <laughs> All right. I might leave today and say, Oop, I misjudged that. I outpunted my coverage. But I'm going to preach this morning. Listen to me. And don't, don't pass out when I say this. I'm going to preach this morning on the politics of Jesus. Did you feel that tighten up? Do you feel everybody getting nervous? The politics of Jesus. We claim to be, and I said this to you last week, we all claim to be radical Christians. Right? Radical. And we are radical in some ways. In some ways. We, we go to church regularly. Some of us. That's radical today. We read the Bible. We don't do certain things because we're radical. We worship in certain ways. We jump and we dance and we raise our hands and we speak in tongues and we're radical in those ways. And then there are other ways where we could not be more unlike him Because being like him would cost us too much. We're radical in some ways. And we're not radical in other ways. And we think that if we can worship passionately enough and pray loudly enough, that that will cover up living Christianly in this world. Okay? So we are radical in some ways and not radical in other ways because we don't really fully understand or realize, primarily because preachers haven't preached it, we don't fully understand and realize what it means to follow Jesus. In your Bible, the Bible never even uses the term Christianity. In the Bible, when it wanted to talk about following Jesus, it called it the way. We don't really know fully what it means to follow Jesus in the way. Okay. Now, as evangelical Christians, as evangelical Christians, we crave simple answers to complex questions. We have to have that. It has to be black or white for us. It cannot be gray. We need, that's why when people on Facebook are arguing and you think you won the argument with four words and a one-liner and a mic drop emoji, you're like, boom, on, get some, cold. 
that just displays how much you don't know about the issue. The issues. We crave simplicity. And so in our Christian culture, I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about in our Christian culture. In our Christian culture, we create two options. A or B. And they will tell you online if you ask. You cannot be for this and still love Jesus. You cannot be for that and still love Jesus. Because your salvation is not dependent upon Jesus dying on the cross. Your salvation is dependent upon who you check at a ballot box. That's perverse. It's going to get worse. I had somebody tell me the other day about this election, and they said this, right? And, I, and I'm going to try, to, I wanna try to, to calm some of the panic because it gets on my last nerve. I've, I, since I have been able to speak English and understand words, I have heard this statement. I've heard this statement. This is the most important election of our entire life. I've heard that. And that if we don't get the right person in office, Christianity as we know it is over. Christianity has been around for 2,000 years. It has survived the highest persecutions of the most grotesque kind. You think Christianity can't live through four years of a candidate you don't like? It is highly, it's almost blasphemous to think that Christianity's survival rises or falls on anybody sitting in the White House. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it, much less a Republican or a Democrat. Away with that nonsense. Away with it. I preached all through the George W. Bush era. Preached my whole way through it. And I was told when his time was up, if you, we don't elect the right person, Christianity in America's over. Preacher, you're going to be out of a job. You're not going to be allowed to say what you want to say. I preached all through the Obama era. I've preached all through the Trump era. Let me tell you what's been different. Nothing. We say all of this stuff because we feed ourselves way too much social media and not enough Bible. You stay on Facebook too long, we're going to have to put you in a padded room, sweetheart. Right? We crave simplicity. It is either A or it is B. And if you're real smart, you say it's neither A nor B. It's somewhere in the middle. And what Jesus came to preach is none of that. When I say the politics of Jesus, number one, people usually come back and say, well, Jesus never got political and Paul never got political. And to that I say, you've never read the Bible. This is what people say. I've heard this. Somebody told me this the other day. Jesus never got political. He just came preaching the kingdom. The kingdom, that's a political word, right? And he preached a kingdom in the face of an earthly wicked kingdom called Rome. Everything he said had political ramifications to it. The kingdom is how we are to order the world. But when Jesus, when I say the politics of Jesus, when I say the kingdom, what I am not saying, hear me, hear me well. What I am not saying is that Jesus wants us all to become super woke, social justice, far left warriors. That's not the kingdom. Nor does Jesus want us all to become pro-gun, toting, Second Amendment, red-blooded American Republicans, bless God. That's not the kingdom either. 
And if you conflate Fox News or CNN with the gospel, you are terribly confused. The kingdom transcends all of those things. The kingdom is higher than all of those things. It is different than all of those things. This is what it means to be Christian. To live and follow him. Are y'all with me? It's awfully weird this morning. Now, I'm going to say some things, but before I say some things, I got to say this thing. Let me say, let me think of the best way to say this. We were told growing up that we founded this country to make America Christian, right? Never mind that we slaughtered thousands of people in the name of God to make American Christian, to make America Christian, or enslaved people and built this country that's a Christian nation. That aside, we say we were intent, we, our intention was to make America Christian. But what we've done is we've made Christianity American. Now, with that said, let me, let me explain what I mean. And I know you're getting offended at me, and I, that's not my goal. It's really not. I'm calling us to follow the way. Okay. If Cole was preaching this, he'd already run off half of you. That's an inside joke. We preached a, we preached a series on becoming an anti-racist church. And it was great, and I had a blast. And Cole comes up here, and before he even gets to the good part, three people walk out. <laughs> there is a difference. I want you to hear me. Hear me well. There is a difference between being patriotic which I think is fine, and being nationalistic. Okay? Patriotic's fine and well in its place. I love a good 4th of July cookout. Right? I like watching America win the Olympics. You swell with pride. You're like, hmm, America. Gonna go shoot a shotgun and cook a hot dog. I'm not talking about that. What I am talking about is for us to be so enmeshed in our culture that we believe Christian values and American values are the same thing. Or being so enmeshed in our culture that we believe whatever America does, God does. I saw a preacher stand up on his platform the other day, pastors a gigantic church in Dallas. This is what he said. I was appalled at this. I stood there with my mouth open. He has a huge following. And he stood up and he said this. The answer for America's problems is more borders and more bombs. And his church stood up and went ballistic. Yes. Yes. More borders and more bloodshed. And we think that is God. And our nationalism has corrupted our conscience. And if you are a first time guest, you picked the wrong day. Come back next week. That idea, that idea is anti-Christian. It's anti-Christian. Part of it is because, and I don't want to get too deep in, down this road, but part of it is because we don't understand the difference between the satanic and the demonic. There is a difference. Both are destructive. The demonic 
is full-on darkness. You can tell the demonic when you see it. Right? You can tell the demonic. But the satanic is not full-on darkness. The satanic is false light. It is an evil hiding itself behind the idea, behind the guise of protecting us from other evil. So to keep you from harming us, we're going to harm you. God bless all of us. This is what it means to be Christian. And we don't want this part. We want, we want the prosperity and we want the peace and we for sure want to go to heaven and not hell, but we don't want this part. Being, uh, being, a, being gripped by nationalism means we cannot separate Jesus from country. We can't separate Jesus from America and they're completely different. When Jesus came preaching, this is what he said. If your enemy hits you on one cheek, give him the other one. We don't want that part. Or we say something stupid like, well, gave him one, gave him the other one. I'm out of cheeks. Now it's on. (laughs) Jesus said, if your enemy wants you to go with him one mile, go two. Jesus said, if they want your shirt, give them your jacket. The ethic of the kingdom is we before me. The ethic of the country is America first. And Jesus is others first. We don't want this part. We don't want this part. We are love ourselves. Jesus is love your neighbor as yourself. (laughs) I saw this going differently in my mind. Y'all are just all very intense right now. It's fine. When we conflate the two, we then preach a perverted gospel built on power and empire instead of suffering love. Okay. Now with that said, I live in America. I'm thankful to live in America. There's nowhere else I'd rather live. I've been all over the world. There's nowhere else I'd rather live. My wife would rather live in the Caribbean, but I would rather live here. Okay. So I'm not talking, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not scrapping Everything. I'm not, I'm not trying to overturn the entire world. That's not what I'm doing. What I'm trying to say is Jesus calls us to a place that transcends everything you're fighting about on social media. And I've been in those arguments too, and I've been in those debates too. All right? Now, when Jesus arrives, when Jesus shows up on the scene, Hang in here with me. This is important for everything I'm about to say in the scriptures we're about to read. When Jesus shows up on the scene, he shows up in the middle of Rome dominating the world. Rome, the Roman Empire is dominating the world. And they are extending their kingdom through violence. They are raping and pillaging and killing and performing military actions on the innocent and they're doing it so they can grab more and attain more and collect more for their kingdom. Do you know what Rome called itself? The kingdom of heaven. You know what they called their Caesars? They called their kings, their emperors, they called them the son of God. The Lord of all. The Prince of Peace is what they called them. That's why when Paul writes in Romans chapter number 10, think about this. Paul is writing a letter to the church in the center of the empire. The letter to the church in Rome. He's writing a letter to the church in the center of the empire. And in chapter 10, he says this. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. What he's saying is Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. 
the kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of heaven and America is not. Jesus is Lord and Trump or Biden or anybody else you want to throw up there is not. And we've made this idolatrous. But this is what it means to follow him in the way. There was a statement that was spread all over Rome. This was their motto. This was their chant. This was their cry. Pax Romana. It's Latin and it means the peace of Rome. The peace of Rome. And Rome said that everywhere they went and everybody they collected into their empire, they were extending the peace of God in the kingdom of heaven. It was propaganda because they were doing it through violence. That's why when Jesus showed up, they expected him to wage war against Rome with the sword. And instead, he he waged war against Rome with the cross. You hear what I'm saying? Now, watch this. In light of that, in light of that crippling domination of empire that called itself the kingdom of God, in the middle of all that, watch what your Bible says. Luke chapter 1. Mary just finds out that she's pregnant with Jesus. And she breaks out in song. You know this song. It's called the Magnificat. Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he's looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Y'all still with me? And holy is his name, verse 50. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He's shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. Watch watch verse 52. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. You want to talk about the politics of Jesus. He brought down the powerful from their thrones, lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away He's filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Does that mean God's against wealth and money? No. No. I'm I'm, going to explain that to you. Flip over to chapter 4. I want you to see this theme all through the book of Luke. Chapter 4, verse 16. When Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And as was his custom, he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives, to the recovering of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free. What is he saying in in these first two passages? That Jesus is on the side of the oppressed and never on the side of the oppressor. Jesus is not against wealth and money. Jesus is against wealth and money that was attained through oppression and corruption. You with me? Let's keep reading. That's chapter 4. Flip over to chapter 6. You know, I wonder what it would be like to have a group of Christians that took the Sermon on the Mount seriously. Took the Sermon on the Mount seriously. Fighting for the suffering. Giving to the poor. Loving, walking in love and forgiveness and community. To the least of these. To your enemies. We read the Sermon on the Mount like, like it's all, you know, metaphoric he didn't I mean he didn't really mean he didn't really mean love your enemies and pray for them when's the last time you prayed for an enemy 
And I don't mean prayed bad things. God judge them. That's not praying for your enemy. God, I give them to you. Chapter 6, verse 20. Then he looked at his disciples and said, Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the hungry, they will be filled. Blessed are those who weep, for they will laugh. Now watch this. He is saying this in the middle of of an empire that is breaking the backs of people and oppressing people for its own gain. In the middle of a society that is filled with all sorts of injustice, he is saying, those of you that are suffering because of this, it's going to be all right because I'm going to give you the kingdom. Those of you that mourn, you will be comforted. And then he goes on to say, and those of you that writ, that are rich, that got rich this way, you're going to be broken. And those of you that are proud, you're going to be humbled. Verse 21, blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are those of you who weep now, for you will laugh. This is all political. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, revile you, defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven. For that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now. You will mourn and weep. Woe when all men speak well of you. That's what their ancestors did to the prophets. Flip over to chapter 16. This is going to be the last passage I read to you. We see it in Luke 1. We see it in Luke 4. We see it in Luke 6. And these are just the ones that I chose to pull out. Now look at Luke 16. Verse 19. Everybody knows this parable. We love this parable. We love preaching this parable to kids. About the rich man going to hell, so they'll live right. <laughs> hell has an important function. Make you live right. Watch this. So, look at me, look at me. Are you following what is happening in Luke's gospel so far? He is preaching a Jesus that is fighting and suffering with the oppressed. That will, in his own way, topple the oppressor. Not through violence. That's why violence is not him. And he's not in it. Right? He's not into burning down buildings. That's not him. But he is into overturning the powers that be that are oppressing and maiming his image bearers. And I want, the, I want this to be challenging to you because this isn't simple. This isn't A or B. If you come away from this and say, well, now who, who do I vote for? That's not even what I'm talking about. You're not going to find anybody on the ballot that's doing this. Okay. So in chapter 1, he's talking about a Jesus that brings the powers down low. In chapter 4, he says, I am here to set the oppressed free. And the church won't even listen to the oppressed. We won't even give them a voice. We can't even tolerate having a conversation with them because a Target building got burned down in Minneapolis. I don't think the Target building should have gotten burned down, and I don't condone that, and neither does Jesus, but I for sure don't think that we need to turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to our brothers and sisters saying, we have been broken and we are hurting. That is not Christian. That's American, but it is not Christian. Amen? Amen. Chapter 4, I came to set the oppressed free. I came to set the oppressed free. And if we think in America that we would enjoy and appreciate Jesus of Nazareth walking up and down our streets, we have lost our minds. Because he would look at all of our wickedness and say, none of this is right. Amen. Don't get political, brother. Yeah. 
This is Christianity. It's not our Americanized version of it. That's why we have, that's why we made Christianity American. Instead of America, Christian. We will never make America Christian. You do not live in a Christian nation. A nation that murders its unborn? It's not a Christian nation. A nation that refuses to help pay for the babies that the mothers chose to have? That's not a Christian nation. It's getting funky in here, ain't it? Good. Good. Because you can argue Republican and Democrat all day long. I don't care. Could not care less. I'm not talking about any of that. Chapter 6. Those of you that are gaining because of the empire, it's fine. Because I will make all things right in the end. Now watch this. Chapter 16, verse 19. There was a rich man. He's telling a parable here. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen. Purple was the national color of Rome. He is rebuking the empire to its face. There was a rich man dressed in purple. And everybody knows who he's talking about. He's drawing a political cartoon for them. It would be equivalent if I said, I had a vision and I saw an elephant and a donkey. You know what that means, right? Fighting one another. This is what Jesus is saying. There was a certain rich man and he just happened to be clothed in the color of Rome. Clothed in purple and fine linen. Who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus. Covered with sores. Who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. It is a picture of oppressor and oppressed. And I'm afraid that our Christianity has championed the power of the oppressor. Rather than the suffering of the oppressed. I know it has. Because we say things like this. Just make better decisions. And we have no idea how evil works. We think that every single thing that happens in somebody's life is the result of a good or a bad decision. And that is categorically and biblically and theologically not true. I am not about alleviating personal responsibility. I believe in that. I fully believe that. Paul even said, if you don't work, you don't eat. I fully believe in personal responsibility. I get that. I understand that. But we don't understand how evil asserts itself. We don't understand how evil works. In the Garden of Eden, evil was asserting itself. And we do damage to people when we say, everything in your life is because you wanted it that way. who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, King James says, in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. And he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus. This is just dawned on me. The very first sermon I ever preached, I was 12 years old, 14 years old, 12 years old, I don't remember. I preached from this text. This was my Bible verse because I was going to get somebody saved. And I preached hell so hot you could smell the smoke. And I preached for three and a half minutes. And I said everything I knew four times. You're going to hell. In hell, he lifted up his eyes being tormented. He looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus. Listen at how the, the oppressor is crying out for relief. Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things 
and Lazarus his evil things, but now he is comforted and you are in agony. This is all connected to Luke 1, Luke 4, Luke 6, the powers that oppressed and the, and the neglect of the suffering and the hurting. Besides all this, between you and us is a great chasm fixed so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so and no one can cross from there to us. He said, then, Father, I beg you, send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may warn them so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Watch this. Abraham replied, watch, watch, watch. They have Moses and they have the prophets. They should listen to them. This is very important. They have Moses and they have the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither would they be convinced if somebody rose from the dead. This is what Luke is trying to tell us. That Jesus and anybody that is following him in the way must always be on the side of the oppressed. Suffering with them, fighting with and for them, defending them, championing their cause. That's the way. That's the way. The rich man dies, goes to hell. And we, we've always preached this as us. What's going to happen to you if you sin? No, he's, he's using this picture. He's using this parable to say, this is what I will make of powers that oppress when I make all things right. This is what will become of them. And you can pick. You can eat at the table with the rich man. Or you can stand outside the gate with the poor man. But this is how it ends for the both of them. Are you with me? That is the politics of Jesus. I'm for the suffering. I'm for the hurting. Whatever that looks like, that's who I'm with and that's who I'm for. We have to, be, we have to develop a Christian conscience again. That's who I'm for. Whatever it looks like, that's who I'm for. So the rich man goes to hell and Lazarus is taken into Abraham's bosom and the rich man says, Lord, send somebody from the dead to teach, to, 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 to preach to my brothers because they're going to end up the same way. And he said, they have Moses. What was Moses representing? What did Moses do? He went to the oppressive power and said, let my people go. That was Moses' message. God is for the slave enslaved and the one in bondage, not the one holding them there. They have Moses and they have the prophets. What were all of the prophets in Israel saying? God is going to judge you because of how you treat the poor and the hurting and the suffering. Go home and read the Old Testament prophets. They are screaming at Israel saying you are corrupt because of how you treat people and how you don't love your neighbor and how you're greedy and you're prideful and you're idolatrous. And God's going to judge that. And you know how he's going to judge that Israel? He's going to make you the captor. He's going to make you the captive. He's going to make you the slave again. You're going to be in exile. You're going to lose your homeland. You're going to lose your identity. Persia's going to come in. Babylon's going to come in. Rome's going to come in. Because you did this to them, it's going to come back to you. Israel, you were that rich man. And now you're being turned into hell. And when Jesus showed up, oh, all through the book of Judges, Israel goes through this cycle. They oppress people. God sends a judge, tells them to repent. They don't repent. They get broken. They lose the kingdom. And they get captured and enslaved and oppressed by a foreign army. God sends a judge, tells Israel to repent. Israel repents. And then they get back on top. And then they do the same thing. And then they don't repent. And then they fall back into sin and oppression. Another judge comes. And that's what Jesus is, the final judge. And he is saying, Israel, I told you this. And you've went into bondage and exile. But I came back to set you back right. And church, we have to be on his side. Whatever that looks like. I, the, the Constitution is not the Bible. 
And again, I'm thankful to live here. I don't want to live anywhere else. But I am a Christian before I'm American. And if we're going to be Christians, we cannot find a home in any of this stuff going on fully. As a Christian, we do feel as though we're in exile. Because the kingdom that we envision is none of this that they're talking about. Yeah, you might see a glimpse here and a glimpse there. And I'm glad that you're anti this. I'm glad you're anti that. But that's not the kingdom. Do we want to follow Jesus like this? Because this cost us. This cost us. Or do we want more borders and bombs? We want more violence and suffering because America first. We're on top. Even though Jesus said, we before me. No, no, no. This is, this is us. This is, we are the city set on a hill. No, we're not. No, we're not. And this is rubbing us. This is rubbing us one way or the other. It is resonating with our Christianity. Or it is offending our nationalism. And I want to be Christian. I want to be Christian. You remember years ago when the trade towers fell? And that was... That was unspeakable evil, right? It was evil. And then the United States retaliated. I remember people, I remember seeing Christians watching the retaliation on TV with popcorn. Like it was a movie. Like, isn't this great? We're killing people. That runs through us. I remember hearing a pastor say one time, this is what he said from the pulpit. He, said, he was telling a story about raising kids and about where America's gone and how he's all upset about where America's at and things like that. And God knows we need help. And he's telling this story and he says, I remember when I was a young man, about 14 years old, my father said, told me to do something. And he said, and I popped off to him. And he said, the next thing I knew... I was waking up from under the kitchen table because he beat me under the kitchen table. And then he said this, and we need more of that in the homes in America. And what? There's nothing about that remotely Christian. What are you talking about? That's how we get to beat the kid under the table and now what we need is more borders and bombs, bless God. And there's nothing about that, Christian. I have a sense that there's going to be about half of y'all show up next week. We're either going to follow them in the way or we're not. But let's not ever, it's, and, if, and, if, and if we don't like this, that's fine. Let's just not call ourselves Christian. Call ourselves churchgoers, but let's not call ourselves, let's not put the name Christ on us. Because he's everything but what we say. This is the politics of Jesus. He's for the hurting, and he's for the oppressed, and he's for the suffering. And if you don't understand what they're saying, then let's not cut them off. Let's enter into that world as best as we can. That's what Jesus, what would Jesus do? That's what Jesus would do. Stand on your feet. <laughs> As everybody moves around somberly. You really should have came to the Revelation class because we talked about this in depth. Very, very deep.
when we see, I want you to get this picture. I want you to get this picture. When Jesus came, Rome was dominating the world. Okay, y'all with me? All of the prophets, all of the prophets in the Old Testament said, God's going to send the Messiah. And he's going to set you free. Right? So that's who they're waiting for. They're waiting for their Messiah. They're waiting for this William Wallace Navy SEAL-like crossfitter. Right? To show up and wreak havoc on the empire. There are times, and I want you to get this. I want you to get this. And those of you at home, I want you to get this. There were certain people that followed Jesus around. There were certain of his disciples that were called zealots. You'll see that word in the King James some. Zealot. Simon the zealot. A zealot was a particular thing. A zealot was a particular class of people. A zealot was a religious nationalist. He believed that God was going to restore the glory of Israel by the sword. Simon the zealot was following Jesus. And Jesus was saying, if they strike you, give them the other cheek. And Simon the zealot's going, no, that is not what I want to hear. That's why when Jesus is in the garden, this is the picture that he's giving us when Jesus is in the garden. And they come to capture him. And Peter pulls out a sword and cuts an ear off. And Jesus said, put that sword up. Because that's not my way. Because you're fighting power with power. And that's not my way. Put that sword up. And he puts the sword up. And then Jesus picks up the ear of the Roman soldier that came to kidnap him and heals him. All of these pictures have meaning. And then Jesus goes and dies on a cross and calls that victory. Do you know what the cross meant? It meant I'm not fighting power with power. I'm not trying to oppress the oppressor. I'm going to stand on the side of the oppressed and I'm going to suffer with them. The cross is him suffering with the oppressor. There's a great book by a black theologian called The Cross and the Lynching Tree. Because Jesus, Jesus' tree was his suffering with the oppressed. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I know what some of y'all think. This is way too liberal for you. And can we even have this conversation without those American categories? He sounds like a progressive Democrat. I don't even need, stop. Jesus, God help us all. You Republican or Democrat preacher, I'm none of that junk. I'm a Christian. I'm a kingdom man. His cross is the picture of him standing in solidarity with the suffering saying you are not alone I'm right here with you and I'm going to make this right and that's where the church is supposed to be found suffering with and fighting for you need to go back and listen to those messages we preached on becoming an anti-racist church If we really tear out racism in America, do you know what that means? That means everything about our way of life is going to change. And we're not ready for that. We don't want racism to end that badly. That we're willing to change our way of life. That's what I mean when I say following the kingdom will cost us. It's going to cost us. Amen. I really did not mean to offend anybody. That was not my goal. That wasn't my goal. But we're either going to follow him in the way or we're not. 
And if you and there's plenty of churches out there that'll preach borders and bombs. And that's fine. It's just not Christian. You can call it a church, that's fine. It's not a Christian church. It's an American church. It's not a Christian church. Lift your hands to the Lord. Father, we love you. We love you and we thank you and we want to be found on your side. If you're with the weak and the broken and the oppressed, then let us be where you are. Let us be where you are. That's who we fight for. That's what we're called to, to suffer with, to enter into that world voluntarily, to take up our cross, follow you. Make us more like you. Make us more like you. In Jesus' name. Now I know what you're thinking. Now after all that, who should I vote for? I'm not even getting in that discussion. You want A or B. And this is beyond A or B. It's beyond that. It transcends all of that. You can write in Casey Dawes if you want to. I'm teasing. Are y'all with me on that hope and liberty? I told you at the beginning that we've developed an ability, I hope, I hope, to have these conversations. And I want to tell you something too. And when we talk about stuff like this, I'm not trying to be balanced. I'm not trying to see what the left has to say and then what the right has to say. I'm not trying to do any of that. I'm trying to say, what does God think about this? And that's what I want to think about this, regardless of where everybody else stands. I'm not trying to strike a balance and be in the center. I'm not trying to do any of that. That's not what we're called to. We're called to represent a different kingdom and a di- we're called to represent the way. Amen? Okay, I've talked your head off. We love you so much. Listen, be here Saturday morning for prayer at 9 a.m. and be back here Sunday morning at 10 a.m. We love you, Hope Unlimited, so much. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit hopeunlimited.church slash give. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hope Unlimited Church.